You know, folks, we've been going through the letter to the Philippians, and our approach has been to look and see what Paul has been talking about. And it's interesting, the theme of Philippians is joy. But when you talk about that theme and you talk about Christians today and their way they live their lives, we're not marked by joy. And a lot of the reasons why we're not marked by joy is because we live on the surface. What do I mean by live on the surface? Well, Christianity is nothing more than coming to church once or twice a week, depending on how much you're involved, coming for an hour, sitting through a service, singing some songs, and uh, hoping that the pastor will bring a good message, and then going on with the rest of our lives. We compartmentalize it, and we come in here, and we don't have any expectations of anything. We don't have any expectations. We're just hoping that we can get out of here in time to watch a game or make it to the restaurant or whatever, but we don't really have any expectations of God doing anything, of God showing us anything, of God answering prayer, of God showing up in a mighty way. And that's called living on the surface, but God calls us to something more than that. Why? Because I've said it before in this series, I'll say it to you again. Jesus Christ did not die on a cross just so that you could make sure you're going to heaven later on and just so you could attend a church service. That's not why he died on the cross. He died so that he could be a part of your life now as you're facing the stuff that you're facing now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus Christ wants to be a part of your life now. He wants to interact with you. And the reality is, is that that concept is so foreign to us because we're so used to going it alone. We say, I'm not going it alone, George. I'm married. I have kids. No, you're still going it alone. You're still going it alone. Why? Why, am I, why do I say that? Because nobody knows exactly how you're feeling or what you're thinking. Nobody knows your fears. Nobody knows your discontentments. Now, your spouse may say that she can read your mind or he can read your mind. Trust me, I've been married almost 25 years now. She may know a lot about me, but she still don't know me. And I may know a lot about her, but I'm constantly being surprised. And I can tell you right now, I don't know what she's thinking. I got an idea, but I don't know what she's thinking. Okay? And that's all we have is ideas in our mind. Nobody knows exactly how you're thinking or what you're feeling. Only God does. And the amazing thing is, is he wants to have a relationship with you right now, but you've got to decide that you want something more out of Christianity. You want to be more than just on the surface. You want to be deeper in your relationship with him. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've told you this before. I can't make that decision for you. Only you can Only you can go to him in the quietness of your heart and say to him, God, I want something more. I want you to interact in my life. Now, we have fears because we've seen crazy things on TV or we've seen crazy people at work and we're like, I don't want to be like him. I don't want to be like him. God's not asking you to be like him. He's asking to be you in your relationship with him. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's asking you to be you in his his relationship with him. But you will be amazed by that relationship. 
So you say, okay, George, what does this have to do with what we're going to talk about today? Well, we're going to wrap up our discussion because in chapter 4, he's been talking about a lot of different things that we need to deal with that we can do something about that will keep us off the surface. Like, what do you mean? Well, he started out talking about relationships with others and our attitudes. He talked about the biggest one that we all struggle with is fear, being anxious for stuff, dealing with that. He then talked about last week, we looked at this, about guarding our minds. Because what? Stuff that you think about, that you allow to infiltrate your mind, can keep you on the surface. Today, he's going to talk about one last topic. Contentment. Does anybody know what that is? The chances are that if I went around the room, you might say you're content only because you think that's the right answer to give. But the fact of the matter is, is we all struggle with contentment. Why? Well, I want you to look at your notes because what we have in our lives is a lack of peace. Oh yeah, I agree with that one, George. Well, let me talk about the lack of peace. Two things I want to point out to you here. Number one, our culture creates an atmosphere of discontentment. You and I live in a culture in a society that thrives on creating an atmosphere of discontentment. Think about that for a moment. Isn't that what commercials are based on? Commercials are based on getting you to think that the object that they're presenting on your TV screen or that internet ad or that YouTube ad or that Facebook ad is something that you need for your life. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so all of a sudden you see it and you see it multiple times, you hear about it multiple times and you begin to think in your mind, I need that. How many of you right now have those I need that moments going on? I need that. I need that. I need that. In fact, we're just like our little kids, right? Look, listen. When I remember years ago, I mean, now we have the Internet and Amazon, but I remember years ago, those of us who are old enough can remember when Sears sent the wish book. They didn't do that out of the kindness of their heart so that your kids could just enjoy that last section. Who cares about all that adult stuff, but that last section of toys? And and then you see the commercials. Have you noticed, if you watched a kid's show, I remember watching kid's shows with my kids, and, and then the commercials during the kid's shows aren't about Arm & Hammer. They're not even about, they're about places like McDonald's and the fries they have, and what? Toys that they'll see that you know will break apart the moment that they get them, but they've decided that they can't, what? Live without it. Why? Because now they never knew anything about it, but now they're what? Discontent. And the saddest thing for me is seeing a kid, after all the presents are open on Christmas, and you've got a kid who says, not saying anything, but his face is down because... He didn't get what he wanted. Discontentment. It's our culture, right? Our culture creates that. You got the newest, fastest phone. A year later, they come out with something even faster. Now you what? Want it. Because it's a half a second 
quicker. You won't even notice that half a second. But in your mind, you're thinking you're doing okay. We live in a culture that creates an atmosphere of discontentment. And let's be honest, it affects every one of us. Affects me. Affects you. It affects me. When I'm driving down the road and I'm looking at my paint job fading on the truck or the car or whatever, and I see that new vehicle come by, guess what I want? I'm like you. Do you know what I'm saying? New truck or a new car. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm all of a sudden discontent. Now that little noise that I used to tolerate becomes intolerable. We live in a culture that creates an atmosphere of discontentment. Now here's what happens. This has created chaos in our lives. This has created chaos. What do you mean by that, George? Well, think about it for a moment. I mean, process it. A lot of times, strife between couples sometimes has nothing more to do than with discontentment. Somebody wants something. The other couple says, no, we can't do that. Yes, we need to do that. No, we can't do that. Yes, blah, blah. And then they're like butting heads. Because one person is discontent, the other person is trying to say, let's be content. It creates chaos in our life. You're happy with your job, but then all of a sudden, for some reason, you don't think that you're making enough because your buddy who you went to high school with now has a better job and he's got more stuff. And if only you had a better job, then you could have more stuff. And it creates chaos in your life. And before you saw your buddy at that reunion, you were perfectly okay. But now you've gone to the reunion, you're like in an upheaval because your life's not what you thought it should be. That happens a lot when you get older. They call it midlife crisis. Right? See, we live in a culture that creates this atmosphere of discontent and it creates chaos in our lives. I've lived it. I might be living it now. My wife might be saying, yes, you are. But here's the thing, so are you. So were you. But I'm going to tell you right now, here's what happens with that. That lack of peace keeps us on the surface. Because here's what happens. That discontentment brings us to a place of believing that God is holding out on us. You want to write that down? That discontentment brings us to a place where we believe that God is holding out on us. Do you understand? Because ultimately, isn't he the one who's in charge because I'm his child? Doesn't he care for me? Didn't he say he would meet my needs? Didn't he say that he would watch over and provide for me? Isn't he aware of what's going on in my life? Blah, 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 and we go on. And so we create in our mind this concept of God where he's holding out on us. And that's why we'll ignore what he says and get it for ourselves. Because obviously, Lord, you're not getting it for us. 
We have this discontentment and this chaos. This is where we're going to talk about today because this is the final thing that you need to understand is the whole issue of contentment. How are we going to see that? Well, let's look at what Paul's testimony is. And from his testimony, we're going to draw out some things. We're going to draw out some thoughts and some principles. We're going to look at verses 10 through 20. So look with me. I'll read it to you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned that in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take these ten verses. I've kind of divided them into two sections. We're going to see the school of hard knocks. We're going to see the school of hard knocks. You say, George, I don't like the way that sounds. Well, that's life. Everybody understand this? Life is the school of hard knocks, right? You should recognize that. If you haven't, you need to. And then we're going to talk about the secret. So let's talk about the school of hard knocks. First thing I want you to see is just out of a statement that he makes, he makes a statement to the Philippians concerning the fact that they cared for him. So let me give you some background before I give you the statement. Paul, of course, started the church at Philippi. This church at Philippi, when Paul moved on to go start other churches, decided that they were going to, when they could, send help to Paul to meet his needs. And so that's what they did. They sent help when they could to help the ministry of Paul. So when you come to verse 10, Paul's going to express thanks to them. He's going to be appreciative. So look at what he says, verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, you did lack opportunity. So here's the first thing I want you to see. Out of this attitude that we see here from Paul, here's the first thing you're going to need to learn in the school of hard knocks. First thing, the foundation of contentment is appreciation. The foundation of contentment is appreciation. All right, let's stop for a moment. Are you like me? You don't need to raise your hand. You sometimes struggle with the whole issue of being content. Are you like me? 
Nod your head. You struggle with contentment, do we? Okay. Can I tell you that when I look back on those periods of time when I was discontent, I can tell you that there is a common factor in all of those periods of time when I was struggling with discontentment. You want to know what it was? I did not appreciate what I had. Because my focus was on, quote, what I thought I needed. Do you know what, do you, do you see that? See, when you're focused, your tunnel vision on what you're supposed to get, what you do, here's the other one, what you deserve. Don't we use that? I deserve this. Okay, biblically, we all deserve hell, but I don't see anybody wanting that. The bottom line is, is that the reason why I'm struggling with contentment is because I've decided to quit appreciating what I've had. I've decided to not just to quit appreciating what I've had, I've decided to quit appreciating the people who are around me. I've decided to quit appreciating family. I've decided to quit appreciating those who care for me, my friends and stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? The whole struggle with contentment starts with a lack of appreciation of what you have. See, the foundation for contentment is appreciation. And you're only going to learn that through the school of hard knocks. I mean, I've shared this story before. This is the most embarrassing moment for me as a pastor. I was a young pastor in Canada planting a church. And my whole focus was church. I'm newly married. Madison is a year old. So Foster and the boys aren't even in the scene yet. However, Lori's carrying Foster. And we were, we were in a church, and I'll be honest with you, we were, I, I just had the job pastoring. I wasn't getting paid hardly anything. Lori couldn't work because we're in a foreign country. But every once in a while, we would decide to go do something special. And so we decided, because you know how it is when your lady is pregnant, there's cravings. And so Lori's craving was a Jack and Jill Sunday at Dairy Queen. Now, what is a Jack and Jill Sunday, George? Well, it's hot fudge and marshmallow sauce. Oh, some of you are like, hmm. I think Dairy Queen is closed now for the winter, okay? You can go to Walmart and buy, no? Okay. Not here yet. Okay, good. Okay. Maybe we'll go afterwards, okay? <laughs> You'll invite Lori, not me, okay. So she's getting, she's getting Maddie in her little snowsuit, because in Canada, it's snowing. And I'm getting my jacket on, and there's a knock at the door. And there's this dude who'd been coming to our church, a young guy who had issues, and he wanted to go have coffee with me. Now, Lori is getting her jacket on, 
Maddie has her jacket on. We're getting to walk out the door to go get that ice cream. But I'm super pastor. And I say to Lori, we'll go a little later. I need to go talk to him. So I went and talked to him. But I didn't know that she was crying. Because we were, to be honest with you, I took Lori six hours away from her family to a new place with no support, little wee one, new church plant, pregnant. I was a jerk. You know what I learned? I learned that I didn't appreciate what I had. I didn't learn that until at the end of four years there when I had to leave that church. And all I had was my family. This is what I'm trying to tell you. The key to to dealing with the contentment issue in our life is learning to what? To appreciate what you have and the people who are around you. That's the first thing Paul does. Paul says, I appreciate you, Philippians, because you sought out to help me. Time and again, he says, you sought out to help me. That's the key. School of hard knocks. Here's the other one. You learn that there are times of abundance and starvation. Look at what he says there, verse 11. Not that I speak with regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer needs. Here's the school of hard knocks. Eventually you begin to realize, see, when you're younger, you're idealistic, and everything's supposed to be wonderful and perfect. If you get the right job, if you get in the right marriage, if you get in the right situation with the right friends, if you're in the right part of town, then everything's wonderful. We live in a society that has this concept that everything's going to be perfect. You'll never have any problems, but the school of hard knocks teaches you that that isn't true. You're going to have problems. You're going to have struggles in your marriage. You're going to have struggles at work. You aren't going to be the 20-year-old anymore. You're going to get older, and things aren't going to look the same way they did when you were younger. Because you are affected by what? Gravity. And your hair falls out. And your hair gets grayer, unless you use something from Walmart. Do you know what I'm saying? And you find out that there are times when you abound, when it seems like, man, everything's going right and great, and then there are times when it's like the bills can't quit coming in. And the doctor keeps telling you that there's this issue and that issue. See, that's the school of hard knocks, is that you you learn that there are times of abundance and salvation, and you don't get freaked out by the times of starvation. Because that's what most of us do. You know, we have such short memories. Oh, I remember everything, George. Really? Then why are you freaking out about that problem you're in right now? 
Because if you think about it, two years ago when you went through the problem and you were freaking about it out about it then, God got you through that problem. Isn't he going to get you through this one? But we get all freaked out. It's because we haven't learned. We haven't learned that there will be times of abundance and starvation and that we need to just be content. Because here's what verse 13 says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, can I stop for a moment? That is not a verse for the gym. I see people, they wear their Christian t-shirts when they're lifting weights. I can do all day. You know, great, that's a wonderful slogan if you want to wait, lift weights. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about you in life. You facing those times of abundance. You facing those times of starvation. It's talking about you learning to be content with what you have and appreciate what you have. It's talking about you living beneath the surface because you recognize that as you go through life, and life will throw the kitchen sink at you, you can do all things. You can face all things. You can go through all things because what? The strength that he gives you. So here's the point. The source of your strength is Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why we don't know that is because we're living on the surface. Our Christianity is nothing more than a church service. It's nothing more than fire insurance for later on, making sure you're going to be to heaven. Folks, that's not what Christianity is. It's about Jesus interacting in your life now. That's what it's about. He's the source of your strength. That no matter what you face, He'll be there with you. He'll be there with you. He goes on then in verse 14 through 20, and he talks about the secret. See, here's the secret to contentment. We're going to see it there in these verses. Look at me at verse 14. Nevertheless, he says to the Philippians, you've done well that you have shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Here's the first thing you need to do. If you want to learn the secret about contentment, if you want to be where Paul's at, where he's learned how to to function when he has a lot and when he doesn't have a lot, you must acknowledge what you have been given. That's what he's doing here. He's saying to Philippians, You were always there for me. You provided my needs. See, part of the problem is the reason why you are struggling with discontentment. I used the word earlier is that you don't show appreciation. Well, how about if I just say it this way because everybody will understand it. You're not thankful. You're not thankful. I'm not thankful. We're not thankful people. We have convinced ourselves that we deserve everything. 
But the problem is, folks, we don't deserve anything except one thing, hell. You must acknowledge what you've been given. You must be thankful. You must acknowledge it. You must begin to appreciate what you have. That's the secret. Here's the second thing. Verse 17 through 18, look at this. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds in your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, the sweet-smelling aroma, the acceptable sacrifice, the well well-pleasing to God. Here's the thing. Your focus has to be other people and not yourself. Your focus has to be other people, not yourself. I want you to hear me. I am always blown away when I look at the news and I hear about somebody who has everything and they take their life. Like, what's going on there? They had everything. And then you realize that always at the, at the center of suicide and stuff is depression. Wrong thinking. And usually what's happening with depression is that we get self-focused. We get absorbed about ourselves. And usually, isn't that what we tell people who are in periods of depression is for them to get out of themselves and what? Focus on others and serve others? Isn't that what we tell them? See, I'm going to tell you right now, the biggest reason why you're discontent is because your focus is on you. The three of you, me, myself, and I. And it's not on others. Could it be the reason why you're having difficulties in your marriages is because the focus that you're having and the discontentment you have with your spouse and the discontentment that you have in your home isn't because of them, it's because your focus is on who? You. What you deserve, what you need to have. Could it be that the discontentment and the disharmony in your home, in your family, in your extended family is because your focus isn't on them, it's on who? You. Could it be that the discontentment that you have at your job because all of a sudden your job is not what you thought it would be or should help you with or whatever and you were okay with that a year ago but now you're not and the reason why is because somehow you convinced yourself that it's all about you and what you should have. Your focus has to be on other people. See, this is the secret Paul's learning here. When he says he's learned to be content, he's recognizing to appreciate the people who have done something for him. So he's not really worried about their gift. He's worried about the blessing that they will receive from it. At the heart of discontentment is a lack of appreciation and thankfulness. The second thing is a focus on yourself rather than on other people. Here's one more thing I want you to see about the secret we see here. 
Look with me at verse 19 and 20. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the third thing that you need to recognize if you're going to learn the secret of contentment. You have to recognize that God will take care of you. See, the reason why we struggle, remember I told you this earlier, the reason why we struggle with this contentment is that somehow we've come to believe that God is holding out on us. Remember I told you that earlier? I had you write that down. That we somehow come to this conclusion that God's withholding blessing from us. And we'll even come up with the reasons why. Well, it's because I made this mistake and because of this sin and because of that issue. And so, God, you're holding out on me because, you know, this is, this is punishment or whatever. And, and, and so we've, we're convincing ourselves. We've, we've become to a place of believing a lie about our God. But that's not what scripture says. Look at what verse 19 says. And my God shall supply all your need. Stop for a moment. What does it say? He's going to supply all of your need. Notice there's no asterisk there that refers to a footnote at the bottom that says, and your wants. According to what? His riches in glory. See, the, sec- the third thing you've got to re- realize, if you're going to learn the secret of contentment, if you're going to live beneath the surface and not be on the surface in your life, is you have to recognize that God will take care of you. He knows about your health issue. He knows about your work situation. He knows what bills are coming in. He's not sitting up in heaven saying, oh, wow, holy moly, I I must have been looking over here at the Middle East too much. I didn't realize that they were going through that. But that's what we think. He's very much aware of what's going on in your life. But the problem is, is we're so absorbed with self, we're no longer appreciative, and we believe to lie about our God. So guess what? We're discontent. And here's what it's doing. It's creating chaos in our lives and our families. You say, okay, George, how do we wrap this up? Well, I'm going to give you two things to think about. The chaos of discontentment will keep you on the surface. You tired of being on the surface? Yeah, George, I, I want to I want to live beneath the surface with Jesus. I want to have that meaningful relationship with Christ. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you right now. The first thing you've got to do, we've already addressed the issue of fear, but the first thing probably that you need to do is get your discontentment in order because it's wrecking havoc in your life and it's keeping you on the surface because here's what you're doing. You're no longer appreciation, appreciating what you have and who are around you. You've believed a lie about God and you're so focused on yourself and not others. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is chaos in your life. And that'll keep you on the surface. Here's the second thing. 
Learn to be content by being thankful for God and others. Learn to be content by the being thankful for God and others. Thankful to God. Why? Because he said he would what? Provide you with strength. That he would provide all of your needs for others. Why? Because they are the ones who God has given you to be around you. Here, I'm going to say something to you. You may want to write this one down. Contentment is an act of faith. Can I say it again? Contentment is an act of faith. What do you mean? Faith. Faith in what? Faith in God. It's it's an act of trusting that what you have and who you have around you and the circumstances that you're in, whether you're abounding or abased, whether you are having abundance or starvation, you have your faith in God that he's taking care of you no matter what you're facing. And so you're content. It's an act of faith. Something to think about. My prayer is, is that all of us will start to live beneath the surface. Let me pray for you.